Hey doulas, if you are a bleeding heart that wants to give away all of your doula services, knowledge, and information for free, then this podcast is for you. (laughs) So I feel like we've talked about nonprofits in the past and really like how to get them started, but we haven't talked about how to get them funded. And that's the part that I want to talk about today. I do want to make sure everybody can sustainably work in this industry, stay in this industry, and be able to provide for themselves as well as the families that they serve. So today we are talking to expert Dr. Heidi. She is a grants expert, and we're going to be getting all of the knowledge and information she can share about finding grants, applying for grants, how to get grant ready, and we'll even talk about her upcoming book. So we're super excited. Welcome, Dr. Heidi, and thank you so much for making the time. Thank you so much for having me. I'm looking forward to talking with you guys today. Yeah, I'm super duper excited. But before we dive into all of the things, because I have so many questions, um, sure. let's start with you. Tell everyone a little bit about like who you are, what you do, and anything about your background that you feel comfortable sharing. Yeah, absolutely. So I've worked in nonprofits my entire career. I have been for about 20 plus years in the healthcare sector, specifically grants and research for the Department of Psychiatry, managed a portfolio of about 250 million at any given time. And that ranged anywhere from your large federal grants, state funding down to smaller foundations. Outside of that, I consult with a lot of mid to small size nonprofit organizations. So I do completely understand the trials and tribulations of wearing many different hats, having a lack of resources, looking for funding, you know, grants, whether it be um, donations, I always talk Mm -hmm. about the financial pie, and making sure you're as diversified as possible, because you also want to plan for those rainy day type of events. Um, But I also understand the compassion that we have for others and wanting to give our services away for free. So I deal with that all the time talking with people um, and trying to manage that. Uh, For the past 13 plus years, I've been teaching in the nonprofit program at Northeastern University, just absolutely loving sharing as much knowledge as I possibly can. And over the past 13 years, one of the things that came out was my students really struggled and I struggled as a professor finding materials to teach people how to actually write a grant. And while every single grant submission is going to vary and be different in its format, there are still some very common parts that you'll see across the board. So I did write a book, Get um, Ready, Set, Ready, Set, Go, Get Granted, a nonprofit um, workbook. And so basically what it does is it connects the theoretical to practical application. And so while there's a lot of reading, there's also a lot of doing. So it kind of walks you through thinking, writing notes down as you're going along, thinking a little bit more, reading, learning about another part of the grant, writing and taking your own personal notes. So you can really customize it to yourself and your own personal needs. And it's a step-by-step kind of workbook that'll help you do it. And more importantly, the beginning of it really discusses how to get grant ready. That is a very big discussion I have with a lot of people. Um, And unfortunately, I sometimes have to deliver the hard news that you aren't quite ready for grants as much as you are eager and ready to start them, but let's get you on that path to get there. Okay. So let me ask you this. There are different types of nonprofits. Do you feel like what type of nonprofit someone is will impact whether or not they're ready to get funded? Because I've heard that you can be a nonprofit where you've actually applied for like a 501c3 and you've gone through all of that paperwork. You have a board. 
so on and so forth. And then there's nonprofits that are kind of like unofficial. They haven't really been filed, but they are doing their thing and maybe receiving school supplies, clothes, mm-hmm. donations, and putting those back out into the community, um, but don't necessarily have the financial backing of like grants or the status yep. from the government. So what are your thoughts on that? So what we're really talking about are those pre days before the government has issued your 501c3. Those pre days, mm-hmm. you do have to be sponsored by another nonprofit organization. So that way, any donations you take in, all of your financials are kind of overseen by them to be able to operate okay. effectively. Once you have your 501c3, then technically, you are eligible to apply for grants. Now, as a for-profit, there are some grants out there that you are able to apply for, but the environment that we're in today is so competitive. They look a lot more favorably on organizations that are truly set up as a nonprofit and function as a nonprofit. The first three years of a nonprofit, and what I mean by that are once you have got received your 501c3 from the government okay. are really considered mm-hmm. your green years and those are the got years it. that you should be focusing on other parts of your financial pie you should be really focusing in on community outreach fundraising donations sponsorships anything you can do in that way but more importantly is data collection and collecting data about the community that you're serving and how you have been impacting that community. And so it is critical to set that up because a lot of times what ends up happening is I'll talk to people when they hit that three or four year mark and they're ready to go and they want to write grants and they feel they're established enough. And then we dig in and we realize they might have collected data, but it was more just demographic data. They haven't really dug in to really analyze their impact. And so even though we're at a point where we could consider moving forward, we don't have enough data to do so. And we usually need to wait at least another six months to a year to really collect enough data to then make an impactful grant submission. And so, you know, that's something to consider. And that is something that can also be started in those pre days as well as you're waiting for your 501c3. So the minute you start working kind of in that capacity, you should start your data collection um, and get things ready to go because the more data you have, the better you're going to be later on. And that is a very large component to getting grant ready. So data is a very broad word and we are not really sure like what all good data or bad data could encompass. And so what are some of the things people should be capturing if they're thinking about grabbing data to make themselves look more grant favorable? So obviously you'll want to get your basics of, you know, demographics of the population that you're serving. Um, You want to collect data on who can afford your services and who can't afford your services. So if you determine, you know, there's a larger Mm -hmm. portion that need these services, but can't afford to pay for them. um, We want to know what percentage that is, because that's going to help that data is going to help drive the need statement, which is going to build up for explaining why these dollars are so important and so critical. Um, We also want to collect a lot of in this particular field, a lot of um, qualitative 
data. So we want to have discussions and, around the people that we're serving and understand from them how the service was impactful to them and how things would have been for them if they had, did not have that service. We also want to talk to people that did not have your service at all, who did not have a doula present and find out how the process, but it has to be a similar community base, but how the process went for them and how they feel things might have gone differently if they had access to that service or had that service. So we're basically saying we want a control group and then we want a group that we're serving. So those are the two things that you'll be looking at. So kind of looking at people you don't serve, but think could benefit from the service and getting that information and then looking at the people that you have served and getting kind of their information. And then what we ultimately do with that qualitative data is we look for themes. So you never mm -hmm. report out. So nobody ever has to worry. You never report out on an individual client name or anything like that. You're just looking for specific themes in the data to say, you know, we served a hundred people this year and these were the statements that they made um, across the board of how this impacted their lives and how it impacted them. Um, and then this was our control group and how they could have benefited from it. So you never you never identify a single subject. Um, it's always themes within the data that we're looking at. How do you collect this data? Are we sending like surveys? Are we getting them to do video interviews? Um, like how so is the data that's the collected and stored? under the circumstances of what you are doing and since it's so personal in nature i think a one-on-one -on -one interview with the doula and the individual would be beneficial to sit down and really because you already have that trust in that relationship to collect the information if they are comfortable with a video okay. i always recommend it but for reasons you're probably not going to think of when you are collecting data and if you have to write it down you're not actively listening to what they're telling you because you're distracted by the documentation process so by able to by taking the video you're able yeah. to then fully engage in the conversation and be present and then go back and look at that later and then write down the data points um, some people may not be comfortable with it some people may not if we're looking how I would probably set it up too is I would probably look at my control population who I don't have those personal relationships with and probably conduct a survey with those individuals. So that's going to benefit you in a few ways. So having those one-on-one -on -one interviews, you've collected now qualitative data. Now going out into the community and doing a mm -hmm. survey, now you have quantitative data. And so now you have two different styles of data that you're going to cross analyze. And really what that refers to is triangulation. And so we want to collect data using a couple of different methods, because if we just use one method, it's hard to form a hypothesis and say, this is 100% the case. But if we can get data from different perspectives, and then we can triangulate and say, the data was solid. This was the same answer we got from this population as we did from this population as we did through this. Um, you know, all of that comes together. And there's so many other ways we can also collect data. But again, we need people's permission. The doulas can do it through observation, just through their experience with the individual and they can take notes, but they have to make sure that the individual understands that they're collecting data and that they're going to be documenting this and disclosing that. But presenting them with confidentiality statements, which is, 
you know, common across the healthcare board anyway, but just making sure that they understand that this yeah. extra step that we're taking in this data collection process, that their data is secure, it's not going to be disclosed to anyone, um, that they don't need to worry about any of that. It still would fall under all of those regulations and HIPAA and all of that. Um, so that's not something that should be of a concern, but it's always good to let somebody know and kind of reiterate that for them. Are you paying participants to be a part of this data collection or are they paying you to be a part of this service? Absolutely. Because that so initially, if you're collecting data which way to get a grant, you will probably be kind of at the mercy of getting people to do it for free. And what you could consider is if you have raised okay. enough donations or enough sponsorships, you might be able to get somebody in the community to maybe gift you gift cards towards you doing this research and things like that. So it really depends on the community base you're serving and the connections and the networks and the partnerships that you are able to build up. Um, but again, initially, it's probably going to be a lot of like, mm -hmm. just asking people to kind of do it for free and take the survey and do the interview. I think you're going to have a pretty easy time with people that you're already working with being open to talking to you more about the process and doing the observation component. The surveys can be difficult. So don't get, that's a big message I send to people, do not get discouraged with the surveys. You could do like 500 surveys and only get 50 back. It is, getting surveys back are statistically low, but we only look for statistical significance. And at a 500 rate, you only need about 75 surveys returned to be considered statistically significant. So that's something to keep in mind. So don't get discouraged because it can be disheartening to send out that many surveys and say, geez, no one, no one's getting back to me. No one's doing this. Um, so that's something that you can look at. But as you move forward and you do get grants and you do apply for grants, that's something that we would talk about putting into your grant budget is what we would call is participant um, reimbursements, or uh, we could also call them participant honorariums, things like that. And depending on what we're asking them to do, it could be tickets for the bus, it could be transportation things, or it could just be a $50 gift card, it could be $50 in cash, we do pay out cash on some, you know, things that we're doing. And so it really depends. And I mean, it could also even be, you know, partnership too with maybe Bye Bye Baby or any of these organizations, Target. Um, Target has a large foundation and they have so many give back community programs. So it could be having discussions with your local Target to see, you know, if maybe they would be able to donate baby goods or gift cards to get baby items that they would be needing. So, you know, there's a lot of creative things that we can look at to try to okay. make that work. Okay, so talk a little bit about how else people can get yep. ready to get granted. Um, it sounds like data collection is definitely going to be one mm -hmm. of those things. But what are some other steps that people can take? So, because you mentioned that yeah, you have to so break the news that some people aren't really ready to get sure granted. So talk a, a little bit about that. Infrastructure in place. So you want to make sure that there's someone on your team that knows how to write a grant. And what I always, always recommend, as much as people always love to come to me and say, Dr. Heidi, could you please help us write this grant? And my first reaction is, I would prefer not to. I would prefer you spend your money and allow me to teach and educate your organization or your group of people or your board on how to do this for you. Because here is the issue. I can write one grant 
and you might get funded, but are you mm -hmm. gonna know how to manage it? Are you gonna know how to write your second grant? Are you gonna have funding again to pay for another person to come in and write another grant and write another grant and write another grant? So you're better off because I understand the tightening of resources and how much things cost and how hard it is. You're better off investing in the training than to pay for the output. And it's going to serve you a lot better. So you wanna put some sort of infrastructure in place. And I know a lot of you do work independently. So this is something you're really gonna to have to think about. How do I build an infrastructure when I'm very much an independent individual? So at, yeah, go right ahead. Yes. Let me ask you this. So what's the difference in pricing between hiring a grant writer to write a grant for you and then investing in the training to learn how to write grants yourself? Because mm -hmm. it sounds kind of time consuming mm -hmm. to do it DIY, if I'm being completely honest. Um, and it's a little bit confusing mm -hmm. because some people say grant writers should get yeah. paid once you're granted. And some people say grant sure. writers need to be paid no Absolutely. matter what. So and that's you're 100 confusing information that's out there as well. Out there. A grant writer is a consultant, just like anybody else. They get paid yeah. for the work that they do. It shouldn't be, we pay you when the grant comes in, because here's the thing, grant writers cannot be put on the budget of a grant. So that's an oh, entirely okay. different discussion on what's allowable on a grant budget and what's not allowable. And one of the things that is not allowable is any type of admin or overhead support. And so when we look at budgets for a grant there's two major sections and i'll try to keep okay. it very simplistic it's your direct costs and your indirect costs your direct costs are exact have to go right to the services that you are supporting can't go back to pay somebody that did work in the past can't go back to cover previous okay. expenses it's from the day the grant gets funded going forward for your direct services i always tell people look for grants that have an indirect perspective percentage foundations are going to have your smallest it can be anywhere from zero to 15 percent mm -hmm. that means they will give you in and above what they were going to fund you so if they were going to fund you ten thousand dollars and they say you can have ten percent in indirect costs you're going to get an additional thousand dollars those indirect dollars gets put into a pool and that can go towards covering overhead covering admin expenses things of that nature but never to go back and historically pay for something always from that point forward. And so when it comes to grant writers, they do need to get paid right up front. The, when it comes down to training versus writing the grant in terms of dollars, I charge the same amount per hour for writing a grant as I do for training and post management of a grant. The, number of hours it'll take just to give people a rough idea a federal grant takes 100 plus hours to write a state grant is around 50 plus hours a foundation can vary obviously depending but it can take as little as 10 hours and it can take as much as 20 hours you do get more proficient over time what i always offer when i do offer trainings to people is okay. I'm always there in perpetuity as your support system. And so I've trained you to go and work, but there are definitely going to be questions that come up. You can always come back and ask those questions. I have a community on Facebook, even of a support group where I put those people into the group and you can come back and you can talk and you can ask questions. You can schedule meetings and ask questions. Um, but 
to me, your money is better invested. So if you are, you know, writing a federal grant, that's a big undertaking. So, you know, if somebody feels it's not a do it yourself type job, we can also the other the other you know, 50-50 could be a partnership where I'm training you to do it, but I'm helping you do it at the same time. And so we do each step together, but I'm also going to be training you on what I'm doing. And so that's the other level of partnership. But the idea truly is you're making a one-time investment versus a multiple-time investment and then working to sustain your grant writing in that manner. Okay, so after we've looked into the fact that we need infrastructure, yes. you said there should be a grant yes. writer on your team. So Were there you other points about infrastructure sure that you that wanted to make besides the grant writer? Somebody that can do mm-hmm. grant writing, you have to have your, your board of directors. So what I always would recommend, especially if you're just one individual, try to find people to sit on your board that can help in these areas. See if there's somebody who's done grant writing and fundraising before and see if you can get them to sit on your board. Hmm. Um, Find a lawyer to sit on your board. They're a great resource. Find an accountant, a finance person, a CPA, get them to sit on your board. That is where you can start to build your structure and that's the best way you're gonna build your structure. Hmm. If you can't get those things, you're gonna have to look for those things outside of your board. And really, one of the things you need to look at when you are applying for grants, a lot of people are excited and say, oh, I'm eligible, I'm going to write this grant, the post award management, getting the grants great, you still got to manage the grant when it comes in. So what type of reporting? How often are they going to ask you to do the reporting? Are they going to ask you to do any sort of cost sharing on the grant? Um, Is it just straight funds coming to you? All of these things need to be considered up front to determine, is this grant really the right one for me and should I be applying for it? And when you start with grants, you start small and then go large. You don't go for the big million dollar grant out of the gate. Um, So you start with the smaller ones, show you can maintain them, show show your credibility in the field of managing grants and then start working up. The other thing we always recommend as well, partnership, partnership, partnership. So you guys are uh, have great resources with your healthcare units. Go to the maternity wards, go to them, see where they're writing their grants. See if you can become a subcontractor on one of their larger federal grants that they're putting in. So basically what that means is they will apply, you give them a small portion or you do a small little grant that you give them. They ultimately apply for it to the federal government. Federal government funds them they then turn around, send you a contract, and then your relationship is back and forth with them, and you got a small piece of the big pie. Funders love to see partnerships. When we talk about current funding trends right now, that is a large trend. They want to see, A, are our dollars going to somebody that is going to impact 10 people or 1,000 people? So if you have partnerships, you're gonna be impacting a larger spectrum. So they wanna see that their dollars Mm -hmm. can do as much good as possible. The other large component is sustainability. Once these funds are gone, how do you keep managing your program in the nature that you want to manage it? And so if you wanna be able to keep giving these services for free to a particular community, how do you sustain that beyond the grant that you received? And so those are all things that we need to consider and put in place um, and talk about. 
I've heard before, like the advice about having like some sort of like quick reference guide for your business before you're applying for grants. Um, things that they suggest that you include are things like uh, the name of like your um, organization, when you were founded, like things of that nature. Um, is that something that you suggest? Because I'm imagining that applying for grants could probably get a little bit redundant, like applying for a job application, which is why you have a resume. So you can kind of quick feel like some of those um, demographic information or work history type things throughout the so process. So it's a little bit of both. Is that the same so way that it works with grants or is it a little different? We'll probably have very redundant information, name, address, EIN number, contact person, things like that. Your problem statement, your need statement should vary from grant to grant. It shouldn't be a cut and paste. They don't want to see the same thing every time that you apply for a grant. So the first time that you write a grant, you'll send it in. They'll give you mm -hmm. feedback. One thing I will also preference, very, 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 very low acceptance rates. So do not feel bad if you get a no. What you want to find out is how do you turn that no to a yes? So you wanna mm -hmm. go back and ask the questions. They may already give you the feedback that you need, but you wanna go back and find out what was the reason? Was it not strong enough partnerships? Was it not a not strong enough application? Was the program not thought through? Did they not think that um, you're serving enough people? What is what? What was the reason for them to say no to you. And so you want to have that conversation, how to, like I said, how to turn that no to a yes. And that way, as you write future grants, you become more and more proficient. Federal grants, I think I've seen in my entire career, one grant, one grant, get funded on round one. That's why if you look at federal grant submissions, it'll say application dates and resubmission dates. It is typical to have to resubmit a federal grant. So you'll get your feedback, you'll make the changes, you'll resubmit. So those things should look the same. You're just editing it and giving them the revised version based on what they were looking for. When you go to another funder, you're going to write fresh new information. Where you are going to see redundancy is in the actual writing of the grant itself. So the problem statement will have information in it that's very similar to what you're gonna write in your needs statement, which is very similar to what you're gonna write in your project description. It's very easy to say, as I stated in the problem section, we never ever do that. And the reason being is grants do not read like a book. Reviewers do not review grants like a book i can speak from experience i've reviewed many grants for many foundations sat on many boards i per everyone has their own approach i can tell you my personal approach just as an mm -hmm. example i get a grant in first thing i do i'm a numbers person i go to your budget do you know what it is going to take can, have you proven to me that you know what it's going to take to fund your actual program if i can't see that you understand that i'm not even going to read the rest of your grant I stop right there. Then if I see that that works well and I see that that is happening, oh. then the next thing I usually go to is I go to the abstract um, summary. Everybody calls it something a little bit different, but it's the, the 30 lines usually approximately that just summarizes what I'm about to look at. 
And so that gives me a flavor and that kind of, from there that drives what I'm going to look at next. So if I see something in there that looks interesting, I'm like, Hmm, it's an interesting, that's an interesting problem. I, I'm, I'm going to go look at that next. I might go with the problem statement or I might say, huh, that's a really interesting program. I've never heard of something like, I might skip right to the program description. So if you're referencing previous sections, I'm not going back and reading those sections. If I have to do that, your grant gets put aside. And I tell you why. It's not because I don't care about the work that you've done and the time that you've put into it. It's because just like you, there is probably 200 other people that put just as much time and effort into something that we have to go through all of these. And so every section should be written in a way that when you take it, it can stand alone on its own merit. Like you can read that entire and understand it hit all of its points right in that section. And I even when I talk to my students, my students, do I really have to write that over again? Do I really have to state? Yes, you do have to state it. And I have to keep explaining to them why you have to state it again. It's not a book. It's they're not going to read it like a book. It, it, they're going to read in sections. And I know a lot of reviewers aren't number people. They're going to go right to the need statement and try to get right to the heart and the passion of what it is that you do. So everyone's a little bit different and you don't know who those reviewers are gonna be. And typically the reviewers are not gonna know who you are. That information page is staying with the person who's managing that grant submission process. So there's a program manager usually. Those pages, it'll be a blind review. So when I look at grants, I, I, I don't know what organization it is. I, I don't know who wrote it. I'm just looking at the grant. And so that'll be stripped off. We also have to make sure initially the grants go through a computer now, right? <laughs> so as it goes through a computer system, it'll kick itself out. So if it said use 12 point font, if it said use one mar um, inch margins, if it said 30 words for this section and you put in 31, it's not gonna make it through the system. Um, so we have to really, really, it seems tedious, but we have to follow those instructions to a T. So for new people, um, as far as like the organization goes, you called it the green years. Would you advise people to look for city and state grants? So what I would be looking at first, during like, the zero, zero to three, three years, years as an organization is I probably would not be looking at grants at all. Now, that doesn't mean there aren't any that'll fund something that just starts up. If you are going to try to find something on the smaller dollar side, I would look community based funding. Um, for people in your local community. So look geographically more than anything who want to fund programs within that community. What I'd be focusing in on that first three years is your data collection and your other funding sources. So how can I start running campaigns to do donations? What type of fundraisers can I set up on a yearly basis to bring in revenue to help support this program? And those are the things that I would be looking at. And then from there, then I would build to adding on grants. Okay. Mm -hmm. So let me ask you this, as far as like the first like zero to three years go, um, when we're thinking about like 
where we're going to get like the money from as far as like community and like donations. Do you find that there are specific like campaign styles that work best, especially for people that are trying to explain who they are, explain what the organization is all about and Mm -hmm. convince everyday people to support them by giving them their money, right? It can be hard. It can feel like begging online. And so people don't like to ask for help. People don't like to ask for money. How can people sort of get over those initial things and really Absolutely. make a solid So you're really talking here now about that marketing. That's really what you're talking about. And so what I, where I tell people to start all the time is you don't mm-hmm. start with the ask. You start with the why you're here. You speak from your heart. So you start building your social media following. You make sure you first figure out where are my donors? Where are the people sitting? Are they on Facebook? Are they on Instagram? Are they on TikTok? Are they on LinkedIn? Where are they? And so once you kind of target where they are, then you just start putting things out there. You talk about your programs. Maybe you put a quote out from somebody that you serve. You don't ask for any type of money. You just talk about all the good that your program is doing. You try, just like we're doing, you try to get on some podcasts and get the word out about your program, what it is you're doing, the people that you're serving. And then what you do is you start, and we've seen this on social media probably quite a bit, you look towards your board that you establish and you say, okay, people are going to donate to somebody they trust before they're gonna donate directly to the organization. So let's run some campaigns where we talk about the program again, what we're serving, be like, hey, we'd love to get you know some help with this. And it's a personal ask from an individual on the board comes back to your established 501c3 but it's a personal ask and typically when we set up boards a lot of board members themselves will donate to your organization your nonprofit and so what i recommend doing is if you're going to give a hundred dollars to the nonprofit whatever you know the finance app put out an ask and say I'm, I'm starting this off with $100. Who can match my $100? Can we double this? And, you know, put out different things, put out different campaigns. And then you want community fundraisers, things that can be done, um, looking at maybe a restaurant that's willing to make a donation of some space and have, you know, a, a dance, a potluck, anything that's fun for the community to come in and be part and engage and welcoming. But we want to make sure that not every single thing that we put out there is an ask for money, that we are talking about our story and the love and the passion that we have for the work that we do and then sprinkle in the ask here and there. So we want that balance. Because if it's a continuous ask mm. without anything else involved, you're going to lose your followers following along. Okay. Do you suggest people have a for-profit and a nonprofit that um, they have in tandem? Because it sounds like the money would need to come from somewhere at the beginning. And so I'm assuming that whoever is the founder or the starter of the organization. Is yeah. So totally I've seen it structured a lot of different ways, but in a, lot a lot of, of nonprofits off the ground are usually the executive director who's the founder having put in a lot of their own personal money into getting it off the ground and getting going, looking for volunteers mm-hmm. to help them out. Um, you know, 
asking, do, wearing a lot of different hats. That's what we do in nonprofits. Um, even myself, that's why I'm able to talk on such a wide spectrum of areas is because when I work in nonprofits, it wasn't just about, yes, I did grant writing. Yes, I did grants management, but I did financial management as well. Um, you know, I did a lot of fundraising when I worked with other organizations over the years. You know, I talk about board management, structure. Mm -hmm. Nonprofits, we wear every hat. Like today I might put on a hat, even within the hour, I might switch my hat. I might have to, you know, have this hat on now and now I have to go put this hat on. Um, it's very hard to establish and, and build up. What I would also yeah. recommend is since doulas are typically working individually a lot of the times, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, because I don't know the industry as well as I do, you know, just general mm -hmm. healthcare. Um, but what I would even maybe do is look in the community or the area that you serve, mm -hmm. where are there other doulas? We don't like competition. Let's see, can we get a can we get a group together and you forge one nonprofit where you all work together, you all come together, you serve the community and you and you schedule appointments that way. And that and then your doula is assigned to this person. But instead of maybe having five or six doulas in a, in a particular geographic area working and offering that service, can we work to networking them together and forge one 501c3 that serves this particular region and all the doulers work within that area. Now you already have a team, right? You have a, a, a team that shares the same vision too. That's the important thing is sharing your mission, yeah. sharing your vision, sharing the passion, and you can work together um, to build it up. But it's hard. I'm not going to say it's not, and I'm not going to be naive to the fact that it's not. Can you have a for-profit tied to the nonprofit? Absolutely. Um, it comes down to managing your books, managing your financing, making sure that taxable income is being reported, non-taxable income is staying with the nonprofit. I've seen many for-profits work and work hard. Um, and then what they'll do is they'll okay. have a nonprofit fund. Um, so that way that the, the people they serve that can pay, Great. And maybe what it is, is a percentage of everybody that does pay, a percentage of that goes into the fund. And then that fund is used for people to apply to. And the people who apply to that are the people who get the services for free because they can't afford it. You know, there's lots of different ways that this can be configured and set up. It really just depends on how many people are within your region to work with. Can you reach out to them? How can we network? Are you the only one in the area? that building infrastructure is going to be a, a key aspect. Okay. I love that. And is there anything else that you wanted to share about grants? I feel like um, grants may be hard for people to find. Is there some sort of like sure. database um, that's universally accessible anywhere in the U S or other countries? Cause we actually do have doulas listening in other countries. Um, yeah, absolutely. That so there's just lots of ways to go about doing this um, in terms of database grants.gov is for the U.S. That is our federal mm -hmm. area. Every federal agency now has okay. to put their grants through there. So there really is no other go-to for that. Um, for states, it's your individual state okay. website. So you go there and you start digging around. Um, I can't really gear you towards what to look for. I mean, obviously, you're going to search for grants, for funding. Um, but 
where it's going to be. Everybody's state websites are just so very different. And then foundations. We got over 200,000 foundations alone here in the U.S. Yeah. And they're all funding different things. Foundation Center is a good place to start. The, pro the only problem I do find sometimes with Foundation Center is sometimes their information's out of date because foundations change what they're going to fund from year to year. So they might, one foundation might say, we do education, healthcare, mm. and literacy. I don't know. I'm just throwing, you know, something very specific in that area. Um, and then this year they might say, we're focusing 100% on healthcare. And mm -hmm. they might stay that way for five years. And then the board might decide to change it up and say, we're going to fund education now. And we're going to fund specifically literacy programs. So those are the things that can change. But Foundation Center is a Got good it. place to kind of start to get leads and to look. But the best things, honestly, to do, keywords. Write down the keywords to your industry, geographic location, people you're serving. A lot of people overlook the geography part. That's why I bring that up. And Google search. Google search for things that start to come up. You will start to see trends. Mm -hmm. What you want to start looking at is also look at if you're establishing a nonprofit as a doula, Google what other nonprofits are out there that offer doula services. And they should be disclosing, and this is a little trick, they should be putting out their 990s, right? Their financial reports should be freely available if you're if you're a 501c3. Look on their 990s. They're going to list what their grant funding was. That might be just some keywords to mm -hmm. go find some other foundation websites to go look at. So we're going to be digging around kind of in those things as well. Um, and so Google searching keywords, geographic region for your area, because usually if somebody funds just a geographic region, they'll fund anything in the geographic region. Now, that doesn't always hold true, but typically as long as somebody a foundation might just say, we want to help this particular community and that's why we were established. So they don't really have any directive in which they want to go. Um, and again, partnerships, things like that. But also, like I said, finding those other nonprofits that offer similar services, even if it's a large medical nonprofit, but they have doula services as part of it, dig in. Look at their 990s. Look at their audited financial statements. Look what type of grants they've had. And then just go to those websites and those funders. They're going to have all the information there. But don't be also afraid to, you know, if you see something that looks interesting, there's going to be project manager information on those websites. Contact that person. Start establishing a relationship with them. Connect with them on LinkedIn. Start an informal conversation so they don't feel that maybe it's, you know, you know, it could be met with crickets if you just send a general email, but maybe if you connect on social media um, and you ask them, just start by maybe asking them to like your page and you get them to like your page and then maybe you tag them in something because you saw they liked your page and you thank them and you just start very small, planting that seed and kind of drawing them in and then just ask questions and talk to them. A lot of these foundations are willing and open to have these conversations with you. Yeah, love it. Okay, Dr. Heidi, tell everyone where they can find you and connect yeah, with absolutely. you um, online. So, um, you can send how me a direct work email. With you if they it's are interested Dr. in getting Heidi some training on Gregory how to write grants. Mina at gmail.com. Also, my website is pretty much the same, drheidigregorymina.com. 
I'm on Facebook as Dr. Heidi, the business psychologist, and I'm on Instagram at Heidi Gregory Mina. That's the only one that didn't let me put the doctor in front. <laughs> Absolutely. Okay, mm -hmm. awesome. We'll make sure to link that in the show notes. And we will also update you guys once the workbook is available this year. We'll get you guys a link um, once all yes. of that hard work is yes, put is. out into the market and we can purchase the workbook. Um, ready, set, go, get granted. Correct? Name of the book? Okay, awesome. Awesome, awesome. Thank you so much. It was Dr. my Heidi, pleasure. And please, and I hope I didn't discourage anyone from thinking they can do this. Everyone can do it. It just... It. You know, we want to set you up for the best success we possibly can. Yeah, absolutely. And doulas, go get granted. I hope this helps you guys with thinking about how to start your nonprofit, how to get it funded, and how to do the beautiful work that you want to do in the world, regardless of people are able to pay and you can still stay sustainable and support your family while you support others' families. So thank you guys so much for tuning in. We will see you guys next week. Bye for now.